What's up, guys? It's Captain Cook. Welcome back to Spicy Memories, the podcast where we talk about food and life and stuff. I took a little bit of a break. Uh, I needed some time to recoup. Been doing some stuff with my hot sauce. Uh, been doing some stuff with some catering. And also, you know, just life. Life just gets you down sometimes. You know what I mean? So I'm back. This is episode, I think, 27. But as per usual, I didn't write it down. And I just could easily look at my Spotify, but I'm not going to. And I am joined today with a very special guest, as usual. But uh, this this very special guest and I go back uh, go back double digits, I think, almost. Uh, almost yeah. double digits, yeah. Uh, so I'm with Ralph Puma. Ralph and I met at WCC. We were yeah. in a film class together. I believe film production, if I'm not mistaken. Right? I think it, it might like, have even been film like 101. It was. <laughs> it originally was I think it was like Padawars 101. It was. And then we were in, I think, were you in the editing class in Peekskill too? Yeah. Okay. So we were in that one too. Yeah. Okay. So we, yeah, we've been going to school together and uh, knowing and talking to each other for a decade almost now, right? Yeah. Insane. And you are, I mean, you are, aside from just being a fantastic human being, uh, you are a musician, I think, first and foremost. I mean, you, you're, you're a photographer. You've you know, worked, you've done film. I mean, you, you, you've been, you've had a pretty insane, like past 15 years, I'd say. So we're, I, I would yeah. love to, I'd love to talk about that too. But um, yeah. And uh, also you live down in Nashville, right? For yep. a while. How long you were down? About there for five years. Five years. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we're going to talk about all that. And I don't know. So here, give the people, uh, give the people a little tiny intro on yourself and, uh, and all that jazz. Oh man, I never know what to say about myself, and I've been doing these things for so long. But Nobody ever you know, does. It's fine. I, I know. The same way when I'm on other people's shows, I'm like, I don't know. What do you want to hear? I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, I I guess I'm like a writer first. You know what I mean? That's what I, I like. I like songwriting. I like screenwriting. I like just blah writing. Just like I've been doing these essays every now and then on Instagram, where I just like will like stream of consciousness write about a topic. Um, like I'm some kind of 18th century philosopher the modern day social media gonzo that's like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if i like if i could pick any job and like i could be paid for it it'd be just like philosopher like i just like say things and then get chased out of town like that's what i would ideally like That'd to be amazing that's a, that's a great career path to choose right love <laughs> true sign of a masochist people yep yep but yeah you know i played in a band from you know the age of like 14 or 15 um up until like 23 i still always played music and played in bands but like from that like 14 to 23 period i was very serious went on the road you know did the whole touring van band thing uh after that i came home went back to school for film which is where we met right uh, out of film school, I made, um, instead of making like a short film or something, I decided to go and make uh, a pilot season of a TV series. So I made six half hour episodes of a show. And, uh, then I went on the road and tried to make a documentary with American pinup, but I kind of like, you know, things happen. It didn't really work out the way I wanted it to. I realized I like tried to do like the almost famous thing and not get too close. But then like, I wouldn't film when like drama was happening. And I was like, well, now I have no story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then uh, after that, I was in a production of American idiot, which I really uh, enjoyed. I was one of like my life goals to kind of do that. And that was really fun to be in a, like a, even if it was like community theater, it was still like a really like fun experience. And then after that, I um, 
seriously was pursuing like professional film. I did uh, locations on the movie Radium Girls. And then uh, I did like worked like a PA in Billions and all these like other HBO and Showtime shows. And then I went down to Nashville with my uh, then partner at the time. And I ended up somehow working at the Grand Ole Opry, managing the tours department, and then like producing burlesque so a crazy and and while still doing like film stuff and still doing music stuff so it's always kind of like it's all been building on each other i don't know what towards or what for it's you know but that's life it's insane i that is that is um a mixed bag as we could say yeah. <laughs> it's a mixed bag but i think all of it pretty much revolves around creativity and yeah. like kind of like, and you kind of wanting to be a part of a creative process, which, you know, I can kind of relate to because I've, I've always played music and I'm, you know, and I do photography and I went to film school and like, even now, like I'm, you know, I cook and like, I make recipes. Like I've always loved the idea of kind of like behind the scenes, I think kind of creative and being in production per se. I mean, that's kind of what I wanted to do when I was in film school. And yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's just something about that. I mean, I've also, I was also, when I did play in a band, I was like the lead singer and I did like being like up front and like screaming at people with a microphone. I mean, that was like, you know, um, that was nice. That was pretty insane on stage. Um, but I don't know. I mean, you, uh, everything you just described is, 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 sounds like it didn't happen in the time span that you, <laughs> that you explained it happening. <laughs> so that's, that's yeah. insane. So, all right, hold, let's, let's, let's back up. I want to know the, the TV show. Yeah. What uh what pray tell was the name and is it available anywhere? And just give us a quick little like synopsis, quick little Yeah. It's uh it's called Solace. Um you can find it by typing in Solace Comics on YouTube. Uh like I think a year or two after it came out, uh Anthony Hopkins came out with a movie called Solace. So like all of my stuff in the that SEO just like plummeted. Fast. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but it was like mentioned on like the Nerdist podcast back in the day, which was really cool. Oh, and that's awesome. Yeah, it's uh it's about um two women who run a comic book store and uh, they're trying to start a publishing company while coming like face to face with just like general millennial issues. You know, um, there's, it's, there's a lot of other like characters involved. Uh, there's about six characters. Each episode is focused around one character. Um, so every character has their own episode and then it like centers around these, this comic book store solace. Uh, which uh, we like hollowed out the UPS store on McLean Avenue as it was oh, like yeah. transitioning. Yeah. And we like built it into a comic book store and people would walk in and be like, Oh, do you guys, is this really happening in, in this neighborhood? And we were like, Nope, we're in the middle of a scene right now. <laughs> so that is insane. On fucking yeah. McLean. Anybody who knows Yonkers, that's right on McLean. Yep. <laughs> And you are, are you, you're from Yonkers, aren't you? Or yeah, no? I'm from McLean Avenue. I, uh, oh, you McLean yeah, Avenue. my family owned Artuso's Bakery. My dad was the like owner and operator, oh, my grandfather okay. before him, the great grandmother before that. And, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. My, my wife is from Yonkers. That's why, uh, which is weird too, because we recently moved to Northern Westchester. So we tell people we're from like Southern Westchester and it's like, people are like, oh, it's like you get that, like, <laughs> look, like these bougie people up here. We go to like North Salem where all the billionaires are. And they're just like, I'm like, oh, we're not from around here. You know, I'm from down South. My wife's from Yonkers. And they get this look like, oh, okay. But yeah. it's just like, yeah, all right. <laughs> like, you're, you're, you're from that other borough, that, right, the yeah. lost borough. Yeah. <laughs> like, the giant you're not, one. Yeah. You're not from Westchester. No, 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 no. You have your own tax. You're not from Westchester. Uh, <laughs> that's the best way to describe it so all right so working on solace right yeah was it i don't want this to sound wrong 
I don't want to say like, you know, was the juice worth the squeeze? Cause that's like a d- dick thing to say, but no, like th- overall like experience, like, did you get out of it? Like genuinely what you thought, because I've wanted to venture into longer projects like that. I have a friend, you know, my best friend is a photographer and you know cinematographer now, and he's in the production for his first like big, like short, he's made a couple shorts before, but this is the first one that's like, you know, a production. And I've always wanted to kind of dive into one of my bigger projects like that. Cause I have scripts that I've written even from back in school and stuff. And yeah. Did you really get out of it what you wanted to, or did it turn into something that you were just like, yeah, this is not at all what I anticipated? Um, When it comes to taking things on, I've kind of adopted the philosophy of action for action's sake now. Uh, If had you asked me maybe even two or three years ago, I would have been like, I want nothing to do with, solace i i ruined it i like all these people put so much work into it and i fucked it up like i was in that mentality and it and that's almost like selfish in a way because so many people put so much into that and i was still focused on my own experience of it not going somewhere but like it was the first thing i did i took a huge leap it was this like massive like i wrote a three-hour thing (laughs) Like every step of the way, everything I learned from that project was insane. Like nothing could like take the place of that experience. Nothing like, well, that's a huge, I mean, how old were you when you first started for the production? What was it? 2014. So what is that? Seven? No, six years. Yeah. Seven years ago. Now. Mid fucking tw- no. What do you, yeah. how do you, how do you, I'm 32. So I was 25. That's fucking being 25 and starting something like that is fucking insane. That's crazy. Yeah, like, and yeah. so the fact that you were a- even able to, I think, keep it going and keep your head above water is, in, is, is you know, commendable at least. My God. Yeah. And not just that, but like if it's, you know, if you're even proud of like a shred of it and you look at it now, like now, you know, not a yeah. couple years ago, like now, and you're just like, yeah, like, you know, then, you know, that's, I mean, that's kind of what's important in, in a way. I mean, you know, because I think, I think the hardest part of being a creative person, and you, you may have a different outlook than I do, but I think the hardest part is the reflection afterwards and the constant critique and mm-hmm. the constant just stewing over every fucking detail. Yeah. Like, I mean, I do that with, you know, I've done that with my writing since I was in high school because I've been creative writing since high school. You know, I've written short stories, I've written scripts, all that stuff, uh, blogs. And, you know, I did that. I do that still with my cooking. Like, yeah. And like, I get like neurotic with it and my music when it happened, you know, I would listen, I still listen to the album that, you know, my band Shorebus put out. And I still, to this day, I'm just like, motherfucker. Like, I just, I go over everything. And I think that's really the hardest part of being a creative. It's not, you know, getting in the zone of being able to write something, you, you know, you can usually write something. It's not that it's just the level at what you're at the level at which you're going to beat the shit out of yourself basically. And yeah, I've come to notice. I think that aftermath is kind of like the hardest part of all. Absolutely. I mean, the after the aftermath of solace lasted up until maybe six months ago for me. Really? (laughs) Like it was that like taking on something that big, I had so much to chew over over the years because I tried to produce something with my family. So my whole, my sister, my mom, my dad, they were all involved. It was like, we were sitting in Savannah. I knew that like, it was one of the last things I would probably be doing with all of them. And like, before I like kind of struck out on my own and all of that. And I was like, my dad always wanted to get involved in production. My mom used to produce like theater in like, you know, uh, St. Barnabas, like right off McLean. And so like, 
so like we all like are very creative in that aspect. My sister wanted to act and I, we all just sat down and I told them the pitch and I said, you know, this is the resources I have. And they were like, well, these are the resources we have. And we kind of pooled as a family to kind of put it together. Um, and, f- you know, at I, but other than I, like I produced it, I wrote it, uh, I shot it, I directed it That's and insane. I edited it. That's like, so every one of those steps is a, is a like, herculean task on its own and then like analyzing that afterwards and just like sitting through every mistake i made through every job is like it took me the seven years to finally be like okay i think i'm ready to do a short film now (laughs) that's i think uh, taking that long it's just i don't know like i said it's that fucking just constant stewing over everything and it's not even things that other people really give a shit about. I think it's yeah. like when you're in a process, like especially with like with what you did, you're involved in every single detail, and mm-hmm. every single detail. You know, especially for you, down to like the editing, like the sound, like everything. So when you're involved in everything, you notice everything. Yeah, and I think that's like the worst part. I mean, that was one of the problems when, like, I was when we were recording our album, and I was hearing everything, and I would hear it as a solo track, and then I would hear it when it was mixed, and like I would hear every, I would hear everything individually in my ears like and i know for a fact that when other people listen to music like that they don't always do that you know they listen to it overall they listen to it as a song they listen to the beat they listen just to the harmony if it's something they can hum with who knows but yeah like when you're involved with a process like that you really hear everything and you pay attention to everything and that can be really great but it could also be like insanely detrimental <laughs> like yeah in so many ways and so now take that like audio experience right and now add on this visual element so like you're trying to create something from your mind's eye right so like it's in it's in this space it's coming from here it's not even yours like you see it and (laughs) And you're trying to like shove it out yeah yeah so to then realize like okay this space is not what i assumed oh wait the camera doesn't fit here what lens like all of those aspects start like colliding and you then have to deal with the reality and the reality of the situation is the only way film is ever going to work. If I can give one thing about solace that I learned is the only way film is going to work is if you get good at letting go. And if you can trust others, that's the hardest part is not, not so much micromanaging, but like you said, just trusting other people to, you know, if they give you an opinion or if they say, no, 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 it's okay. This is good. Like, don't stop beating yourself. Like, even yeah. small things like that, because I don't trust anybody. Like, I don't trust anybody. I don't it's even hard. Even when I cook like dinner, I look at my wife. I'm like, oh, how's this? She goes, no, it's really good. And I look at her. I'm like, fucking liar. Like, I'm just, I'm just like, I'm like, this is not, no. I'm like, I'm like, you sure? I'm like, I feel like it's too salty. You think it's too salty? Like, you know, it's like not trusting people is, is, is a huge part of it. And I don't know if that comes from just being a creative. And mm-hmm. maybe it's because you, like you said, you have this vision, right? And you're trying to, I mean, like the direct, the director's job, like if you look it up in the dictionary, a director's job strictly is to take what is on the written page, right? And shove it into a camera and make it visual, basically. I mean, you know, like, yeah, there's a cinematographer and there's like sound people and stuff, but his overall job is to be like, okay, I have this and this is the idea. I need to make it into that. And I don't know. I think when you have that, kind of predisposed vision ahead of time that's what can really in a way fuck things up it's a shame because that's really what makes people creative that's what makes people who are creative creative Mm -hmm. is having something in your head and being like i need to find a way to get this 
out of my headspace and in onto something, whether it's a track or whether it's like a film or like whatever. And like, that's what really drives you is like, you want to get it out. And even if it's not for like the world to see just for yourself. Yeah. And, but having that kind of vision is part of the problem. I think, you know, I mean, that's that. And that, and that, that does, that still happens to me to this fucking day. I even something as stupid as like me thinking of a recipe and like picturing it like perfectly and then doing it. And then looking at it and being like, look at this fucking gruel that I just put together. Like this is, <laughs> this is, this is gruel. Like this is not, you know. Why did I think that extra teaspoon of baking soda would make I this know, work? Right? <laughs> now or I have just, pancakes. Or it's like, I'm sitting there like with my head slumped down. This really happened. And my wife was like, why did you think that you could sub out baking soda for baking powder? And I'm like, I don't know. Cause they say <laughs> baking and they're supposed to do the same thing. And she's like, that's not how it works. I'm like, I know, I know. Like, you know, it's like, it's just like, it's like things, like things rarely, I think, turn out the exact way if ever, that you really want yeah. them to. I mean, you probably found that even with like music that you've recorded. Yeah. Well, like, my, mom always, my mom always said, um, the first pancake always comes out wrong. <laughs> and then she'd look at me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Why, like are, you, are you the firstborn? Exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so the first pancake always gets messed up in some <laughs> ways, what she was saying. So like, that is a fucking valid statement. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh my God. And so like, I've always kind of taken that advice from her is like, you know, solace was my first pancake, you know, acinity was my first pancake, that band back in the day. Like, you know, it's the first time you do something, you're going to fuck it up. I've been trying to do this like rainbow cookie project um, to kind of get back to like my baking roots. And the first time I made it, the taste was there, but like, it was this like fist sized monstrosity. Like, (laughs) It was like bumpy and like it wasn't right, and I couldn't like I didn't like I didn't have any of the pro- I didn't have any of the proper things to like actually bake it. I didn't get the ratios right, so I ended up with like this much usable. And like I show it to my like current partner, and she's like, "Well, it tastes good." <laughs> that's 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 a very that's a such a gentle like let down in a, such a sweet way. It's like this yeah. taste. It's like, how does it look? This tastes really good. I yeah. go, thank, you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. It's like, no, 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 I know it tastes good. But how does it look? Well, it tastes really good. I go, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like the, the rainbow cookie, like I know how to do it the traditional way, but I'm trying to do something new with it. So of course the first time I'm going to fuck it up. So like, then I take my time and I think about what I did wrong and I write it down and I like sort it out. And then like, I'll get the confidence back up to be like, all right, I'm ready to do it the next time. See, and baking is especially, and I've talked about this before on the show, and your family is, you know, embedded in baking. I mean, you, you know, yeah. you, like you said, you have roots in baking. And for me, baking is a whole other world because, like, what I do in the kitchen, and whether I'm here, whether I'm doing the catering, or whether I'm doing meal prep in hayfields, whatever, it's like, how do I describe it? You're like a pirate in the kitchen. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're just like, things are happening, it's loud, it's fast. If you fuck up and you accidentally dump too much salt in, you can add more sauce. Like, there's ways to fix things, you know? If you burn something, if you burn one side of it, like, whatever. There's, there's a constant remedies. But with baking, there really isn't. Like, there's, it, it is a science, it's exact, and you don't really fully know until everything is done. And then yep. when it's done and you fucked up, you're like okay, so do I want to start again or just go cry for a bit? It's like, that's like, that's basically, and that's why I've had so much failure when it comes to baking because I'm very much a kind of like, oh, let me fuck around a little bit and see what I can come up with, right? And I love mixing flavors together. But then when I'm following like an exact recipe 
and it has to be precise. And I mean like precise. And I don't mean like, no, no, it says two third cups of flour, but you can't just put it in a scoop. You got to like do it a certain way and like not pack it down. Like, you know, it's like, that was always what I struggled with was the exactness of it. So if you're able to even do that moderately, I give people a lot of credit because that's like a whole other world. And I know that it's very therapeutic for a lot of people. And, you know, I don't know if you ever found it therapeutic or not, even through trial and error or messing up or not. I don't know. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there was a time period in Nashville. Um, I had, it was like the dead time for film and I had just started film. So I didn't really have enough context to hop on another job. And I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? What the fuck? Like, how am I going to survive? Like, I have nothing. I have nobody. It's just me down here. What am I going to do? And I like saw that a donut shop was hiring and I was like, Oh, I can bake. And so I like went to this donut shop and like me, I was never like involved in the baking. I was still like in like the like cooking. I can like do the measuring out. I did a lot of the baking, but like my father and like a couple of the other like bakers there were like the head people. And I was still kind of like the assistant and kind of like ran the front more of that aspect. So I was like, I'm fucking lying to these people i don't know what i'm doing i've just managed to like talk my way into this job and i have no idea like if i fuck this up i gotta figure out what's next but i get there and like i'm just like oh this is easy i know exactly what i'm doing (laughs) it was just like it was like like in me already so like i understood that aspect of it uh, i feel bad my uh, my current partner like made chocolate chip cookies and she, they like came out like hard as rocks and all of that and i was like she came home she was like and i saw the note and it was like i'm sorry about these but i wanted to make you something <laughs> and so like that night i was like listen we still have the ingredients so her and i like i like taught her how to make like chocolate chip cookies and like oh, that's gosh. like like i enjoy that aspect it is incredibly therapeutic to go back to baking every now and then i love doing bread i love doing uh chocolate chip cookies are probably my favorite they're very simple we didn't even do them at the bakery but it's just like as everybody thinks either i mean they are simple but like you need to know how to do i didn't know that i thought chocolate chip is a breeze no yeah not at all it is like you need to know what you're doing to get like the perfect chocolate chip cookie never forget or leave out the refrigeration part if you do not refrigerate that chocolate chip cookie dough you will have the worst greasy terrible things oh my god i fucking (laughs) That was the that was one of the first mistakes I made. Same. And then the other one was I didn't put them on the mat the way you're supposed to. Like I didn't make a ball or whatever. Like I just I was like I like I remember the first time I I flattened them. Like I made them little like saucers. Oh yeah yeah. And I'm just like ah oh, it'll be good. And then they came out and I'm like what the fuck are those things? I'm like that's not. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I, that I, not you know. I have to say I'm a big fan of uh, Babish's. Um, you take it, you do the ball, but then you split the ball and you put that down and it do leaves that. like yeah. this like rustic yeah. kind of look. It's great. Right. For those who don't know, Babish, uh, Binging with Babish, Andrew Ray is his name, uh, was a, I think, special effects editor for like years. Yeah. And then he did uh, the he, film editing. He did the film editing and he yeah. uh, was going through like a divorce and he just kind of needed something to, you know, do. And he, I'm, cause I remember this because I remember watching one of his first videos and it had only come out like a few months ago. And the reason was because I love cooking and I went to film school. And so I'm just like, Holy fucking shit. This guy is doing the burger cook off from parks and recreation. I'm like, yeah. this is fucking awesome. And I was so excited. And then literally over the past few years, I have watched him fucking explode. explode. If you guys <laughs> don't know, binging with Babish, he's one of the biggest food content creators on YouTube. And he 
has you know, people that have collaborated with him who used to work at Bon Appetit and he lives in now a, you know, $12 million house in Brooklyn. Like he is like, yeah. he is, he has his own line of cookware. He's got cookbooks. Like he is, he's absolutely the, the The bed and breakfast that's coming to the Hudson I River. No. Oh my God. Wait, is, that, <laughs> is that in Hudson? Where is he building that? It's, it's somewhere along the Hudson River. So it's oh, somewhere in the Hudson Valley. So I, know, I like, like that is, I saw that and I like texted it to my girlfriend and I was like, He's doing everything I want to be doing. Like, literally, yeah, it's not fair, man. Like, and I don't know. He's just it's 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 insane. But yeah, his his method for the cookies has been good. I've actually learned a lot of good stuff from him. But he's also he's like me. He constantly reinforces the idea that he is not a chef. Yeah, because right? he's not. And I like I'm not a chef. Like, and I, I say that like I cook now, and I cook in kitchens now, and I've done catering, and I you know I make and sell hot sauce and spice rubs and like all that shit. But I'm not like I wouldn't consider myself like a chef. Because a chef, that that title, I don't want to sound pretentious, but because I have so much respect for the food industry now that I kind of work in the food industry a little bit, mm-hmm. that's a title that's earned over like a long period of time. And I'm not saying just from going to culinary school. I mean like you need to have command of a kitchen and not yeah. just be a good cook. You need to be able to be a leader and you need to be able to look, you know, step back and look at all the moving parts and know when things need to be done. It's like, there's so much that goes into it that people don't understand. And well, it's the same thing. Like if you look at all the things that we enjoy, right, we enjoy film, we enjoy music, we enjoy cooking. It has a very similar trajectory of like this individual that kind of composes and guides people. And so you're not going to be able to step up into that role of like, the band manager or the director or the chef, unless you can learn how all the parts move. Right. Um, sorry. My cat just came in the foot. Get the, should we stick? Nah, you're, you're fine. Bank, Banksy's been chilling. He's over there. Yeah. I heard him a little bit. No, <laughs> she's sticking her face in the outlet. Sometimes I swear. <laughs> like, she's like, I always, and I always see it when I'm on a zoom call, I look in the yeah. zoom and I see her fucking face just go to the yeah. outlet. I'm like, no, I'm, I, <laughs> I want to see God. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like, you know, doing that now, I thought I would hate catering, you know, the repetition of it and the kind of just like hacking, the kind of like just shove this giant tray in the oven and then make it look nice on a plate. Here's truffle oil, sprinkle it over everything, you know, like shit that drives people nuts. I kind of fucking love it. You know, it's weird. I like fell in love with the whole process of it, which is amazing because I didn't think that was going to happen. And even like the meal prep, you know, you know, it's the three of us sometimes there on like a later Sunday night. And we're prepping meals for like 22 people at her gym, right? And I'm like scooping, you know, 22 things, like quarts of chili that she just made, turkey chili, you know, whatever. And I just, I fucking, I love all of it. And it's the weirdest thing because I did not see that happening, especially with like catering and like meal prep. That t- because that's considered, for like chefs and like people like that, that's considered like the, you know, monotonous kind of like boring, kind of like repetitive bullshit that nobody really wants to do. It's not you yeah. cooking what you want to cook. But- I am how, cooking what I want to cook, you know? It's like, how else are you going to get the skills, though? Like, you're, you're getting skills. to do those yeah, repetitive yeah. things. You know, you're getting to do all of the cutting and getting to hone right. those knife skills and getting to hone right. your plating. Like, your plating is incredible. Like, I can't plate right. for shit, man. Like, I, honestly, how you feel about baking, I feel about plating. That is a mountain I'm so, I am not the, ready to climb. <laughs> the difference is, when I'm home, though, my plating, when I want it to be, is okay. But usually when I'm home, it looks like... I'm in line from cell block D and they just slap something on my tray. Like it, it looks like, you know what I'm saying? Like it was just like, boom, like that in a way though, because I'm doing my hot sauce, I think that's filling that creative kind of itch. You know what I mean? Like I'm able to still 
you know, I mean, you've tried my hot sauce for a while. Yeah. Now. You, you were, you were an early trier of the hot sauce when you were down in Nashville. Oh yeah. Correctly. I pass it on to everybody. <laughs> it's fucking great. And yeah. And I just did my first market recently. You came, which was awesome. You got a couple of yeah. bottles for me. So thank you for that. Hopefully you guys still have some left. Oh yeah. Um, so, but I think that's kind of helping me fill that creative itch that I have. And then I'm like, okay, now I can do all this other stuff and kind of hone my like cooking skills. Like I've gotten to the point in the kitchen where burning myself like severely is more of like an annoyance now. Like it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't like hurt and I'm not just like, Oh my God. Like it's not like that. And I'm talking like the other week I had dark purple stains all over my arm because of canola oil, because I was uh, pan frying uh, halibut in canola oil and the halibut was a little extra wet. And so the water fell into the 300 degree oil and just threw itself on my arm. Uh, but the best thing about that night was after I burned myself, Melissa comes up to me. She's like, yeah, come here. And she cracked an egg flat on a table, came up to me, held it closed with a crack open a little bit and just smeared the egg white all over my arm. And I was like, this feels fucking amazing. Oh my God. She goes, yeah, it neutralizes the burn. And then when it hardens, it becomes like a liquid bandage in the kitchen. I'm just like, what the fuck? I'm like, are you, Whoa. Like, are you kidding? And I swear to God, it worked so well. Granted, the next day you're going to have a fucking burn. It's going to hurt. But yeah. like when you're in the kitchen moving and stuff like that, you don't have liquid. Ba- like it, it was amazing. I was like, how the fuck did you know? That? Like, you know, and now it's like I burned myself on. I, like, I don't know. I feel I, like you just shared like a magician's secret. Like, I seriously, feel <laughs> like, oh my God. like, like recently I catered um, uh, like my parents are having an anniversary party. So like my gift to them was that I catered the whole thing. And so it was, you know, hours of me prepping and like cooking and all this shit. And I had my brother kind of help me, but like, I noticed that when things weren't being done the right way or like fast enough, I got like that, like that little, like rage inside of me started like building. I'm like, like, you know, like I don't, you know, and I know that that like could come out and I know it comes out of having things go. And I don't know if this ever came out with you when it came to any kind of production, whether it be music or film, but you have like a very specific way that you need things to see things, how they come out basically. Like, you know how things should be done. And when things are done a little bit differently, it, you don't always, I don't uh, at least always react the way that you probably should, which is not a great thing to say about myself, but it's true. Like I just, I, I, it, it like almost strikes like a little chord in my head that just like, kind of hums the wrong way i guess you could say it almost it's a uh, it's like i i like to say that it's in like the small of my back there you go and i feel like it's start right there it's like a yeah. twinge right. um i have never known anything but that kind of um aggressive chef's manner um i had to learn a lot to kind of cool down i do a lot of meditation i mean it's like i've i've been on a very spiritual path for most of my life and it's kind of a departure from anything my family has done prior but it also ties into everything that they are and so i was lucky enough to have three generations above me in the bakery i had my great-grandfather i had my grandfather and i had my father my great-grandfather the only way i can describe him is like a like a golden age superman just like big burly guy like hey no you do it this way and then he comes over and he shows you how to do it and then he walks off and you're left with like wait how how right. wait huh and so you like gotta like catch on fast gloves. yeah he's got oh, like yeah, yeah. It's on his hands yeah yeah so like he would show up and he would like do it that way my grandfather was very quiet a little bit more patient if i didn't get it he'd show me and then he'd show me again he'd be like what what are you what are you come on come on hurry up come on get it and then my father he was the rage monster but then every now and then he would like be like 
he would really like have a good talk with me about certain things and teach me. Um, so I had those three kind of things. So when it comes to like me teaching and when I like started doing bands, uh, especially in the early years, I was very much like, no, this is my song. This is the way we're doing it. Like, And that's not the way it's supposed to be when it comes to that stuff. But when you're in a kitchen or when you're on set and you're a director, yes. And I don't think that the rage or the aggression or the anger is necessarily the right way to go or the, the way to do it. But there has to be almost like a surly understanding and the person who is working with you also has to be consenting to that understanding of like, we have to do this fast. We have to do this right. Right. Exactly. And when time especially is of an essence, you know, whether you're filming or you have to serve something, I think that having a time crunch is also what kind of, um, kind of accentuates that a little bit. Like it's, it's, which like amplifies it like a lot. And I, I think what you said about like having the other person kind of consent to that idea is, is, is perfect because in a way, like, you know where you are and you know, you know, (laughs) you know why the people are working with you and they should know that too. And like, so we've all watched, I'm sorry to cut you off, but we've all watched kitchen nightmares. We all know the guy in the back who's like smoking cigarettes and not in the kitchen. And he's the sous chef and he's supposed to be chopping something, but he doesn't want to be there chopping something. And the chef's yelling at like, that guy is not consenting to the agreement of you're working in my kitchen, which is the, which is the, the question of like the the stanley kubrick of it all right what is what is the line like without you know stanley kubrick or hitchcock or hitchcock jesus christ yeah like any of these like monsters that are like could like would we have the art and how do we separate that and does it elevate the art or does it matter like and is it the same way with kitchens is it the same way with film sets i've had producers like smack lunch menus out of my hand and whatnot and they're just like reality tv show producers like because one individual acts that way and it produces a certain product they people then think that that's the way that you produce the product right that that's just like the standard procedure and it's not that's what people and how and how many like you know guys in their 20s think that they're stanley kubrick and abuse the people on their set like as their, their first yeah. things like, you know like so hitchcock it's was a fucking psycho too hitchcock acted the way he did and he got like t- and tarantino does that shit too it's like it's like there's a level at which it's understandable and you're right i mean like would it be possible to get a specific kind of art if people weren't like that you know like yeah. that's the real question and it's like is it necessary? No, of course it's not necessary. Like, absolutely not. But that's not the question. The question is, would it be what it is without that? You know? Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not saying that it's a necessary evil. It's not. Like, do you need to treat people like shit? No, no one should ever treat anybody like shit. But, you know, with the, when these people do that, you know, is it understandable to the point where you're like, well, I mean, maybe because they're such a creative psycho like that, that's why it's so good. You know, like, would Hunter S. Thompson's writing be what it is if he wasn't as insane as he was. I mean, if he mm-hmm. didn't like come up with the concept, I don't know what your thoughts on Hunter S. Thompson. He's, he's like, he's, he's very controversial, very polarizing for some people, but I um, haven't done my deep dive on him yet. He has been on my to-do list for quite some time. Cause well, you know, he created Gonzo, right? Which is the idea of immersing yourself in whatever experience you're trying to write about, because that's the only true way to understand it. You know, mm-hmm. like when he wrote a book, which you should read, by the way, I read it on hell's angels. He spent like, 
like what, whatever it was like two years with them or some shit and like bought a bike and like traveled around with them. He almost got killed like a bunch of times. Like, you know, he like got like the shit kicked out of him a bunch of times and he's dealing with like 1960s, 70s hell's angels. Yeah. Like some of them like straight up Nazis. Like some of them were just family guys that also rode bikes. Some of them were just straight up psychopaths and thieves and murderers and, you know, drug dealers. And like, you know, he immersed himself in that world. So like the thought is, I guess, is acting in that way necessary? Like, probably not. But, like, would you get the same result and would it produce the same kind of work with any of these people if they weren't like that? Which, mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that that's a good thing or bad thing. I'm not advocating for it for one way or the other. It's just a question. That's kind of good, you know. Have you seen Whiplash? I have. I have many times. Actually, so, and it's one of my favorites. Do you think that that's the line? Because and you you can the, see yeah. it is a relationship between them that I mean, they that, both are. Yeah, that's the problem is that that gets so complicated, especially with that. Like it was not he was not a world famous conductor. You know, this was yeah. this was a music school, you know, jazz ensemble that was pretty well known, but it was not world famous. You know, he was not mm-hmm. he was not the, the most renowned conductor in the world. And yet at the same time you kind of get, like you said, you, you watch the film and you see this relationship develop where is it really all just born out of hate? Probably not. Like, is it, you know, and there is this kind of, you know, back and forth between the two of them. And then you see, um, you know, Miles Teller, I'm forgetting his name in the movie, Andrew something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't recall. Yeah. I don't, I haven't seen it in years. I have to rewatch that. Um, Character names in movies sometimes I'm slip like, my yeah, mind if they don't yeah. do it. Right? I was, I was confused. <laughs> But like you see him kind of transform through into that as well, which then all of a sudden it's like he kind of reached the evolution of like, did he finally get to the point? Not well, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Whiplash from 2014, go watch it. And I'm about to ruin it. So just fucking stop this recording right now. Stop it. So you see him at the end, like when he's finally <laughs> doing like the drum solo and like you see him evolve to this point where he was just like, fuck this and fuck the world and get to that zone where he was just like, I'm just going to fucking do this and I don't give a shit what happens. And, you know, give up so many parts of himself to be able to produce that and do it well. Yeah. So then you basically, like, he's been fighting against this entity the entire movie of this dark cloud, of this fucking bald dark cloud that was slapping him in the face and throwing things at him and literally mentally torturing him. Mm -hmm. Like, throughout the film, you see him evolve almost to that kind of realm to produce what he wanted to produce. So it's like, is the real question of all of that things are not always so black and white when it comes to things like that. You know, I mean, it's not just like cut and dry, like it's not. And so in that case, like to what you asked, like, I don't know, is that like I say before, was it necessary? No. What would results be the same if they weren't like that? Probably not. Like would Hitchcock films be as good as they were if he didn't torture the shit out of the people working for him? Like Mm -hmm. if he didn't, you know, release real birds into a scene or actually grab, you know, a set knife and like go to stab somebody in the shower, you know, or like the scene in Inglorious Bastards where, um, you know, she's getting choked on the floor. I don't know if you know this, but that's actually, those are actually Quentin Tarantino's hands choking her because oh, no. Christoph Waltz like was getting nervous. Yeah. Like, he, he was um, Hans, Hans, uh, fuck for the Nazi hunter. What the fuck was the, the Jew hunter? What was his name? Landa. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Hans Landa. Thank you. He was getting nervous, choking uh, Bridget. Not Bridget. The fuck is her name? Oh my god, I'm hard, I'm blanking out on names. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> he had to choke her when he found out that she was a spy, and he was getting very nervous doing it. So those are actually Tarantino's hands 
wrapped around her neck like that tight. And damn. Yeah. And so like, that's a little insane. That's a lot insane actually, but it's like, you know, like, is it over the top? Yes. Is it necessary? Absolutely fucking not. But that's not really the question. That's, I think that's the problem with all of this is like, you could go back and forth with that. So it's like, the the short answer like is it necessary no would it really produce the same thing probably not which then how would that affect you know them being seen as a creative and their work mm-hmm. you know it's like so i think i don't know i think that like you said when you work with people like that there needs to be this kind of understanding and consent that you're entering into this creative realm and that there's not always going to be a very standard kind of procedure of how things are done and you need to understand you know how to kind of keep yourself at bay while also contributing, I guess. Yeah. Which, you know, and collaborating with anybody ever. I mean, you've, you've been playing music with people for how many years, you know, you know, when you play music with other people, it could be one of the most enjoyable experiences ever, mm-hmm. or it could be the worst fucking thing you did that day. Yep. Literally. And it, and, and I'm not saying because you play with people who are just horrible. Usually that's not the problem. The problem is the opposite. The problem is when you're playing with people who are, that good and they know that they're that good like that's that that's been my struggle in the past is like when you're playing with somebody who is probably extremely talented but more than that they really know it and you see them just like like it's it's not what you usually it's not what you always want when you're playing with people and then Mm -hmm. you know you think about the other side of that though where you're like you know well what if i was at that level what if i was that good what if i could play guitar like that like what if i could play drums like that you know wouldn't wouldn't i also be like that confident, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was always my struggle because then that diminished my confidence when I would play music. Cause you know, you're, you're a much better guitar player than I am. I never got to the level of like that I wanted to get, but I'm like a solid rhythm guitar player and I can, you know, I'm a, I'm a very good acoustic player and I've recently learned how to like solo and I'm learning scales and everything. Like I'm, I'm, I'm decent, but I would play with people who just completely blow me out of the water. And it was just like, okay like you just you like take a step back you're just like okay this is uh this is not what i want to be doing with my day you know and it's like it just completely diminishes your confidence sometimes and my brain keeps going to star wars quotes this whole talk (laughs) like i wanted to say like when it comes to like when you were talking about the duality and i wanted to you know say that line of like you know uh, only Siths deal in absolutes, right? So, like, that's some, like either side, whether you're conservative and saying it's this way, or whether you're more liberal and saying it's this way. Like, right. that's the duality. That's like the duality of our culture. That's like, those are both absolutes. Right. <laughs> there is a gray that, like, exactly. we all are actually living in. That's the reality of like the primordial ooze of what we need to kind of push forward. And, right. you know, And this other one that uh, you just brought up uh, now was there's always a bigger fish. Like that was the other one that just, you know, and I've been playing chess a lot lately. Um, uh, My, my roommate is gotten incredible at it. And then he has a friend that like regularly just trounces him, just like completely wrecks him every time. And he does the same thing to me. And I'm just like, okay, I have a deeper understanding in the last few weeks of just starting this like uh, chess mountain that I'm on of like, there's always a bigger fish. And yeah. so, and like, or once again, first there's a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there's a mountain again. Right. And it's like, you know? I think that there are times when you could pull away great things from those experiences. Like you said, like with this chest, you're probably learning an insane amount, yeah. you know? But there's also times when it's not really beneficial if, if it's not, 
I didn't want to say beneficial. It's not beneficial all the time. Like if you're playing music with somebody who is that much better than you and you're not really able to pick up on what they're doing because they're doing something so insane in their own creative way, you're not really able to break it down. And if you even ask these people sometimes to break it down, I've had times where people have actually gotten like frustrated trying to like explain things to me. And when people get frustrated trying to explain things to me, that is as embarrassed usually as I get when I'm like the reason that they're like frustrated that they have to try to explain what they're doing. Like I like that. That's, you know, but that's on them, right? If they're not willing to like, right. No, it's lend not a hand. I'm not saying it's yeah. my fault. I'm not saying it's my yeah, yeah. fault. It's just, that's usually when I get most embarrassed. It's like, yeah. it's like when somebody has to like explain something like that to me. And I don't know. I mean, being, being able to put yourself in a world where you know that there are people ahead of you, there are bigger fish and being able to pull away good experiences from that or knowledge is what's important, I think. But mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're doing that with somebody, like if you were getting completely wrecked at chess, but you weren't able to pick up on the defenses and you weren't able to pick up on any structure and you were just losing every time and you tried to even find out after the game what you did wrong and they were just like, well, I don't know, get better. You know, like, like you know, it wouldn't really do a lot for you, I don't think, you know? I think being able to pull it away... It makes you feel like you're six. Like, it exactly, makes you feel yeah, like you're exactly. a kid. Exactly. So being able to pull away knowledge is what makes it kind of a constructive process, I think. You know, and that doesn't always happen though. Like I've, I've been playing music with people for years where that's not the case at all, you know? And I don't know, music, especially I've, I've never had like the confidence that I always wanted to, which sounds weird because I was the lead singer of my band for a very long time. Um, But I never had that confidence where I'm like, you know, it's fine. Like I do what I do and I do it well. So let me just stick with that. I mean, that's like, I've gotten more confident like that with my cooking where I'm like, I know what realms I'm good in. And I know where I'm not and I'm okay with like accepting that I could get better in those areas, but I should be okay with what I'm really good at. You know, like I'm okay with cooking for a lot of stuff, most stuff, but like, I know that I'm really good with like hot sauce and I know that I'm mm-hmm. really good with like sauces in general. Like, like I could probably train to be like a saucier in like a restaurant and I'd probably do really well because the building of flares and flavors and starting with aromatics and then putting in a sauce and then thickening the sauce. Like I'm good at all of that. Like I make pan sauce. Dude, that hot sauce is incredible. It's so like, like rich and full bodied. And like, I, I don't know even know if those are the right <laughs> explanations, but it's just like, it's like a bottle of red wine. Um, it, it, no. Yes, it is. It's, it's that good. It's like, top shelf hot sauce that I've ever had. Like I have it on like eggs. I can put it on anything, like anything it can go on. Like that, that means more to me than, than you'll know. I mean, that, my biggest thing too is like just knowing that people actually mildly enjoy it has given me more satisfaction than I ever need. I mean, that's the main thing. It's like, I, like, I always knew that I liked the product because like it was born out of like, like my wife and I used to um, buy this hot sauce from a company based out of, I want to say Brooklyn or maybe Long Island City called Queen Majesty. Mm-hmm. They make, they, if you haven't tried them, they make really good hot sauces. And they have one that's called Black Coffee Red Habanero, right? Yeah. And it's really good. And we blew through like the whole bottle in like two weeks. Um, but it's really hot and it's black coffee and red habanero. So it's very like sharp. You know, it's like very just fucking just like, ah, it's like it hurts your teeth. It's like very there. And so I wanted something to kind of brighten it up a little bit. And mango habanero is not a new concept whatsoever, but I hadn't yeah. really found mango coffee habanero before. And I still am not able to really find that anywhere. Like yeah. I'm, I keep looking it up and I think I may be one of the only sauces at least that I could find 
that does that, that makes a hot sauce with mango, coffee, habanero as the three main like flavor profiles. But, you know, I don't know, like building that sauce has given me so much pleasure just because having other people try it and having other people also say, I haven't really tasted anything like this before. Like that's really what got me satisfaction where I'm just like, yeah, because yeah. that's part of my creative brain where I'm just like, all right, you produce something from scratch and you know, other people are trying it and they're reciprocating what you really want, which is like, yes, this is like a good thing. Like you did a good thing. You know what I mean? Like, and that's one of the first times in my life that I was able to like, going back to what you said, actually trust people, you know, which until recently, even I, I didn't. And I still critique my hot sauce because it's not every bottle is the same. Like the two that you bought at the market that day, right? Those were lighter than the bottles that I usually produce because Mm -hmm. I had to use different kinds of peppers because those were available and the other peppers weren't. So making a fresh sauce is, probably the stupidest thing that I could do because you're always <laughs> basing your life off of what's available, the ingredients, like, you know, like, but that's something that, that you should adopt is like, I, I hate talking like a marketer, but that's like something you should adopt as part of your brand. People love that. You know, you, you, you put up that it is fresh and that it, every time you know, it's going it to be yeah, the exactly. same general yeah. flavoring, it's, yeah, but it's, it's going to be the same flavor profile. Yeah, yeah. It's just the texture is usually the same, but the color could be a little bit different. You might, like with your sauce, I used more red habaneros, which I usually don't. Usually mm-hmm. I strictly only use orange um, because orange has a very fruity kind of skin. And that really complements the mango really well. And red habaneros are good, but they're not as fruity as the orange ones. And like people, and that's, that's been my biggest problem is finding orange habaneros. Like I've, I've gotten to the point where I'm calling the produce managers at, at like ShopRite and like Stop and Shop. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I need you to order me a 10-pound box of habaneros. And they're like, are you buying 10 pounds? I'm like, no. But order me a 10-pound box. I'll come. I'll pick out what I need. You could charge me retail. And they're like, fine. I didn't know that this was the thing. I didn't know you could do this to produce managers. You oh. call the produce manager at your local stop and shop and say, I want a box of shishito peppers because I didn't yeah. see them on the shelf. If you get me shishitos, I'll come and pick them up. They'll be like, yeah, what's your number? We'll call you when it's in. Because they don't fucking care. They order a 10-pound box. They'll charge you retail for whatever you buy. And then yeah. they'll just put the rest on the shelf. I had been searching at like food distributors, and like all these people. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, why do the supermarkets always have orange habaneros and nobody else does? But they have them in these tiny little things on the produce shelf. And half of them are rotten. You know, so ShopRite, out of all the places, fucking came through, man. ShopRite, <laughs> they, they brought out this 10-pound crate of the most beautiful orange habaneros I've ever seen in my entire life. And I was like, how is this even possible? I'm like, how is this even fucking possible? Like, so, you know, like I do care about consistency. It's just, like you said, it's, I, I very vocal and I'm very upfront with people that it is a fresh sauce and that I use what's available and what's in season. Usually like I usually like to use like yellow onions, like Spanish onions. Um, but if those aren't available, I have to use white onions and there is a little bit in the difference in flavor, but not, I'm not sauteing them per se. So not yeah. like really, um, but I don't know. I mean, that's where my creative process has kind of evolved is where I'm finally now accepting that there are other people in the world who are like, okay with like what I'm producing, you know, cause I was never like that with like my writing or my cooking or my photography. I'm still not like that. And yeah. photography too, especially because I've surrounded myself with filmmakers and photographers as like best friends. And like, so all you do is compare yourself to like other people's work and like other photography and like you notice when something is like off in a photo. And I mean, you take photos, you know what it's like. It fucking, you could be insanely critical, which is, you know, which speaking of, by the way, to kind of transition into this, tell me a little bit about like your photography and like where like started and kind of like where it's at now. Uh, Photography was 
more of a hobby thing for me, but I also want to touch on one thing before we leave mm. this prior topic, Please. which yeah, is sorry, sorry. the trust you feel towards others. And listen, I've been on this weird spiritual occult path for my life. It's not even like, it's not like I'm religious. I very much say that I am spiritual. That's where it pretty much period there. I've dove into every religion. I've dove into a lot of weird Aleister Crowley stuff. And that trust that you have for other people comes from a reflection of like the trust you have for yourself. Because once again, like in this moment, we are literally mirrors of each other, like sitting here, like communicating through this Oculus to like across time and space. Yeah. Right. So what that trust for yourself is the, is really what's going to garner your external experience, you know, cause let's say, you know, your wife goes, I love this. It's great. You can, you in that moment have control over what the next moment is. And it could be a, I, I don't want to like say selfish, but I always feel selfish after like looking back on it of like, Oh yeah, well you're lying to me. And it's like, no, well, it's just as like, accept it. Yeah. Thank you. It's like, that, it's, it's hard. The hardest. Yeah. That's been the hardest. Part. It's hard. Yeah. It's not easy. It's cause like people like over the years I've like, I, I'm, I made like this joke album cover of all the things I've heard like people say to me and I like put it in like Instagram and like wrote all the words and put them all around my head. And it's like, if I listened to that and not me, like, I'm living someone else. I'm not living who I am. I'm not living my truth and I'm not trusting myself. You know, if I'm told I'm egotistical, if I'm told I'm this wonderful human, like something is going to happen where both of those wires get crossed and I become this like monster of like, I'm great, but you know, I hate myself. (laughs) (laughs) So like, if, if you don't like have this center of like, no, I know who I am no, I know I'm good at this. No, I know I need to work on this. And the gratitude of like others, even like coming into your life and gifting you with their presence. Like, I know then it's, 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 it's absolutely a problem with the self more than anything. I think that, and which is true. I mean, I don't genuinely, I'm not like a paranoid schizophrenic. Like I don't genuinely think people are out to, you know, lie to me all the time. And you're right. It is literally, having that control and being able to just accept it and be like, this is, this is what I need to accept. And this is what I need to do. Like, that's what I struggle with the most. So my, my friend runs a Superman podcast and I'm listening to him talk about Superman through the years. So like, well, it's not, it's called digging for kryptonite. It's great. I didn't, I didn't mean to drop another podcast. No, no, no. That's okay. But he's awesome. Dare you bring up another show. (laughs) But you should, you should, you should have him on. He's an incredible individual. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he did a couple of documentary right. films. Uh, he did My Comic Shop History, My Comic Shop Documentary, all about uh, alternate realities. And he runs this Superman podcast, and he's talking about Superman through the years. And I keep hearing them talk about modern Superman and how people perceive modern Superman. And it ties into, this is going to get really heady, but a lot of Robert Anton Wilson. And Robert Anton Wilson talks about how our modern society today is based around paranoia. So the fact if you have no amount of paranoia then there's something wrong with that's, you yeah that's the actual wrong, yeah. 
But because, like, you know, our devices are listening. We are in front of each other all the time. People, to survive, have to shit talk because if they don't shit talk, then they don't sort out what they actually feel. And, like, so, like, there's this, like, level of paranoia that our modern society thrives with. Doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean it's bad. It's just what it is. And we need to learn how to navigate that and not be paranoid of ourselves. Which is probably the, the the hardest part because a lot of what you and a lot of what you're talking about has to do with like self not i want to say self-acceptance because that's not the right word but kind of along those lines a little bit like you it really needs to be like a control within a little bit to be yeah. able to navigate that situation and those feelings and that acceptance and like understanding that like you said if you don't have any kind of paranoia then something might be wrong you know you're just this like you know amazing narcissist walking around being like yeah this is great <laughs> fuck you like you know just like you know like living life which I'm sure for the person is great. Uh, but yeah. like, you know, I think. Hold on one, sec- one second. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So. You do not need to be barking right now. Can you go lay down for a minute? I really hope he knows that I'm not cutting this out because this is, this is amazing. <laughs> you have many times on this I, podcast? I, so many times on this podcast, we've had to have like people and their pets have like a talk. And it's yeah. like a reoccurring thing and I fucking love it. <laughs> so you want to come sit with me? You can come sit with me. Hop up. You want to come up? Come on, come here. His dog's name, guys, by the way, is Banksy, which is one of the better dog names that I've heard ever. So there are people who get it and they're like, ah, oh, he's the artist. This is great. I love your work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My favorite thing is the show. You know, like people like get it. And then there are people who are like Binksy. And when I hear like the I, it like it drives that like chef rage in like You're my just, like, I didn't see fucking Binksy. Did you hear an I in there? Like, <laughs> Uh, so do you have any idea what he's done? You start defending him like he's the real artist. Like, do you have any idea his body of work? You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's good now. He's had his temper tantrum. He no, wanted to good. get my attention. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. But like, going back to what you were saying, I think all of that kind of ties back also to just being a creative and having mm-hmm. that constant flux of confidence and self-assurance because you're putting something out that you know was good in your head. Like, you know it was good in your head. When you put it out into the world is when you're finally like, shit, people see it. <laughs> like, you're just like, it's, it's when it finally leaves and you're just like, oh, balls. Like, everyone is, is looking at, you get, that's when things get complicated. So yeah. I think that also all ties just back to being a creative. And it's one of the reasons also I wanted to have you on the show because you have such amazing perspectives on this shit. And you do this on your Instagram stories all the time. And you talk about you know, depression and self-reflection and like, you know, mental health and like all these incredible things. And you're very open about it, which, you know, it's not that these conversations aren't necessarily being had, but they're not being had in those kinds of spaces as much as they should. It started happening a lot more, which I like, like I do follow a lot of Instagram feeds where people will do that on their stories. And I love that. I think it's good, you know, and I have even had a problem with that, putting personal stuff out on social media, like personal, personal stuff like that. And the times that I have, it's kind of felt a little bit good, a little bit, but also like, then you also get that kind of like, was that a mistake? Kind of like, you know, kind of oh, like, yeah. like, like, should I have posted that? You know, 
Um, I've lost friends this year doing this. Oh, I'm sorry. Like I've, I've had people like, like I posted one thing about like my biases and like one of my biggest biases being like people who don't read books, like anybody who like doesn't like pick up a book ever, like not like, I'm not talking about like the people who like, oh, I read occasionally or this, but I'm talking about people who are like, I don't read books. So like, and that was like a bias that I have of like, oh, okay, I respect your opinion less. And I was talking about like the fact that it is my bias and it's something right. that I am working on and like right. not trying to look at this other person and judge them based right. on that. And someone came at me and was like, you and all your friends are shitty for voting on this and talking to me. And then I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean like, is there something else wrong that you're coming at me and lashing out at me like this? And they were like, no. And then they blocked me on everything. Oh, and nice. I haven't heard okay. from them since. That's good. Well, and hopefully then, like, they tune into this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then like another thing was like, someone was just like this. I, it was like a story. Like I wasn't even like my own perspective. It was like in a short story I was writing and they were like, this sounds narcissistic. I was like, Yes. Yes. That's the point. Yes. <laughs> so, like, no one's ever going to understand where you're coming from in those situations. And right. uh, a friend of mine told me, like, they're coming out as trans and they're doing their journey very, very publicly. And they said, Do you know how many mistakes I've made? during this like it just makes me better at living digitally because we're all living digitally more and more and more so if you're not out there throwing yourself out there digitally and not in an unhealthy sense like i've taken a break this past like week i'm starting a new job i'm doing all this other stuff like i'm like i don't need the social media i'll come back and the people who want to see me will see me (laughs) like i have tiktok to gain new followers i have instagram to talk to my friends and the people who like to hear what i have to say (laughs) so i can take my time i don't need to be a slave to the algorithm them. I don't need to, you know, be scared of what other people are going to say at me because for every one, there's another three and for yeah, so and vice and versa. It's always going to be like that. It's a good name for an album, by the way, Slave to the Algorithm. Yeah. It's a really good name for an album. I got to write that down. Um, <laughs> the, one of my favorite parts, by the way, of no, not to go off on a tangent, but this happens a lot. Um, the, uh, uh, that third movie with Simon Pegg, um, uh, the world's end world's end yeah. yeah the best moments in that film are just like it's like that's a good name for a band you should write that down i will in <laughs> the whole t- and i say that all the time like that's a good name for a band guy you should write that down i will it's like, <laughs> like, like oh god but no i think you're the problem that people don't understand about social media is like people are expressive on there for themselves not for you not for other people like i'm sure there are people like that but like it's the same thing as like you know, if, if like a female or somebody posts a certain photo in a certain outfit that may be revealing or they just do it because they want to embrace their own like sexuality, right? That is not for you. It's not for your entertainment. They're not doing it to offend you or anybody. They're doing it for their own fucking reasons and they're doing it for mm-hmm. themselves. Don't make a comment. And if you do, they're not going to give a shit. It's not about you. And that's what yeah. I think people don't always understand. Like I say crazy shit on my stories all the time in my posts if you read all of my captions it's some weird shit there is some questionable <laughs> weird fucking shit there and I don't it's great who the fuck reads it and i'm yeah. associated with local businesses now i've got family on instagram i call myself daddy all the time like it's not it's not always <laughs> like but you can't think about that i'm not doing it for that like i'm doing it yeah. because i have this other side of me that I'm trying to kind of just be okay with and show. And that other side of me is slowly blending itself into my real life where Mm -hmm. I'm like, this was my outlet to express myself here. 
And it's finally made me comfortable enough to where I can be like that in person. And I can be okay with like that because that's a good part of me and I'm okay with that. And you have to ignore all that shit. Like the person saying to you about the fucking people who don't read books. Look, I have plenty of biases. Okay. I'll say it right now. I have a thing against vegans. It's true. Look, I know a lot of vegans. I'm friends with vegans. I ate vegan fucking sausage for tacos tonight. Like, it's not that I shun the vegan world. It's just like, look, personally, I think there are multiple types of vegans, right? And everyone does it for different reasons, okay? But the argument of like, you know, well, I'm doing it for animal rights. That's true, but to a certain point. Like, if you're talking about beef, like, could you be vegan to help the world? Yes. You could also buy your beef, though, from a sustainable farm that actually yep. is carbon positive because those do exist. They take yep. the cows. They move them to different orchards. They don't feed them grains. They let them graze. There's no houses. They don't fuck with the soil. And it's better for the cows. They live longer. The beef is better. It's cheaper. It doesn't kill as many cows. It's better for the local farm. And it's actually carbon positive for the earth. So if you're mm-hmm. doing it for that reason, that argument's out. And people who won't even hear that side of the argument those like militant kind of vegans who are probably listening to this now. So come at me, <laughs> you know, they don't want to even hear that. And because of that, you can't just cut it out altogether. I don't think, you know, and it's unfortunate, but I think by the year 20, I don't know, 35, there's just not going to be enough beef. Like it's yeah. just, it's, it's not going to be like a thing like that anymore, which, you know, like, like David Chang has been talking about this for years where he's like, it needs to become more of like a weekend or like special occasion kind of thing. Not, I'm going to buy ground beef because I'm going to eat it four times this week. Yeah. Oh, like that can't the American, like triple eight quarter pound, 500. Seriously. Like watt burger. And and that's the other problem is that, you know, if people are, you know, look, if some people are vegan for totally other reasons, some people are vegan for health reasons. Some people like, you know, like I have friends, you know, one of my friends, she was, when she was in, um, what'd she tell me when she was like seventh grade, right? So before a holiday or something, she ate some piece of red meat and it, got her violently ill and she ended up having to have her like a, a, a like appendix taken out because she yeah. got so sick. And just because of that experience, she just wasn't able to eat red meat for the rest of her life. And that's not, you know, she's not doing it to strike against the world. Like, you know, it's just like some people do it for multiple t- kinds of reasons, but I just naturally have like a bias against that. It doesn't mean that you're not allowed to do it. It doesn't mean that you have to like me as a person. I'm just like you were saying, I'm t- I tell people all the time. I just, I have a personal bias against that because in, yeah. in a way it is closing yourself off to all the options, you know, like saying, well, I'm just not going to eat meat. And I'm like, what about alternatives where you could actually make the world a little bit better and you could yeah. help contribute to carbon positive farming and like, and they don't even want to hear it. And I'm well, like, it's oh, like what? the only Sith's deal in absolutes. Exactly. <laughs> Once yeah, again, exactly. And- I'm not saying being vegan is a horrible life choice, but in, and not to go on off a tangent about vegans, because yeah. I'm sure some of them listen to this fucking show, but <laughs> I don't know how at this point, but um, they do. You know, I think if you're completely shutting yourself off and doesn't not restricted to vegans, I mean, with anything, if you're completely shutting yourself off to all the options that are out there, and if you're not thinking about what maybe is the best option altogether, you're not really living in a constructive world. You're kind of living in your own closed off little planet. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't, and I don't mean that in like, you know, it doesn't just because you're, you're vegan, you think you're doing a good thing. It doesn't make you a good person doing that. Like, you know, if you feel good about yourself, that's what matters. I'm yep. putting out all the shit. You're putting it all the shit for us. We're doing it for our own reasons. We're not doing it for validation from anybody else. And that's when, it, you know, sorry, go ahead. No, no, sorry. When it comes to social media, I like, I'm starting to take on this perspective and it, 
it sometimes can feel disingenuous, but it actually is coming from like a very like pointed and genuous place inside of me, which is like, if you're not commenting on people's things, positivity, and if you're not putting like good things, you, you, we're control, we're writing our reality together. The social media, the internet, that's our collective space. Yes. I have my corner of it. And yes, you have your corner of it. Like, I'm not going to go on Captain Cook and be like, hey, check out my shit and do this and do this and do this every time on your Instagram. That's what your Instagram's right, for. Yeah, and exactly. I have my Instagram page. So like, but when I'm interacting with your Instagram page, someone said this on my like friend Superman podcast and it was, what are you going to do? You're going to poison the ocean, like a poison, the small part of the ocean and it's going to dissipate. Like that's all you're doing. You're, 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 you're just like drop throwing this little drop of poison in the water that's going to dissipate and be yeah. gone when you can do something that actually builds them up and right. helps them. If you right. really care, help. If you don't do something else. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's why, like I have plenty of friends on social media who I'm constantly, you know, messaging and support and saying like, I love this. Like this looks great, blah, blah, blah. You know? And like, not just the food with anything. It could be for like outfits. It could be for something I bought, whatever. And the reason is because I know how far that can go. And I know how little it requires of you. You know what I mean? Like, and if you're able to contribute that and you know, you're contributing for a good thing. And if it's not something you like, just shut the fuck up. Don't say anything. It's that simple. Like it's that, you know, like my God, unless it's something that you like, if somebody's like, here's my bias X, Y, Z. And somebody comments like, well, this is my bias X, Y, Z. And you have an actual conversation about it, which (laughs) which I've had with multiple people, you know, especially I posted something about the vaccine like two weeks ago on my personal Instagram. And this guy that I went to high school with, who definitely doesn't listen to this fucking show, (laughs) Um, he, he messaged me this, this, this manifesto of all the reasons I was wrong. And he threw numbers at me and he's like, I know scientists. And he was just like, you know, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Like, you know, you, you, you have, that's okay. Like, but you know, I'm not trying to tell you that you're wrong. I mean, you are, but I'm not trying to tell you that you're wrong, but you also shouldn't trying to be telling me like, it doesn't like, if you have a bias, I have a bias, like what the fuck? Like, but it was an actual conversation and having those actual conversations can be good because it can bring you to an understanding of why people operate the way that they do. And that's really the level that we should be on. I'm not saying that everybody has to think in a singular unified way because that's never going to happen. It's like you said, everyone is living in the gray, right? Only sits still in, you know, absolutes. And yeah. which is in an, in and of itself an absolute statement. Uh-huh. Only sits still. <laughs> so, like once God again, like uh, <laughs> run it again. I know, uh, I know. <laughs> no, it's 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 true. Like you know, we we're all living in that gray area, right? So we need to find a way to live in that gray area where we're okay with some of us leaning towards the black and some of us leaning towards the white and some of us you know, not really sure, but like having open conversations about it is important because even if you're talking to somebody who you think is dead wrong about every opinion that they're spewing forward, right? That's not really what's important. What's important is understanding maybe why they think like that. And even if you hear all their reasons and you still say to yourself, all right, well, they're full of shit. Like whatever, fine. <laughs> At least you were able to have like an open conversation about it. They mm-hmm. have this agenda where they think they're going to say the right thing or the right insult and I'm guilty. I used to do this. I'm guilty of this too. You know, we all Same. did it for years. And I've come to a point now where I realize it's just not worth it because unless you're going to have a meaningful conversation with somebody about it, it's not really going to go anywhere. You're going to end up at the same place. They're going to end up at the same place. And you're both probably just going to be more angry. That's pretty much what's going to be accomplished. So yep. I think having open conversations like that and understanding that you're putting stuff out on social media 
for you and you need to be okay with that, not for validation of others. That's what's important. You know, like if you're proud of what you're putting out and you're okay with it and you're okay making a statement that you have a bias against this or that you produce this, listen to this guys, you know, whatever you understanding that you're doing that for your own reasons is really what's important. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people, when they don't get the validation that they think that they expect back, they deserve back or they're getting kind of like friction. That's when things could really kind of get a little rocky and, you know, but that's, it's not really why you're doing all that, you know? I mean, I've been there too. My, the biggest thing that I would say blew up the most for any of the bands I did was we got a video on break.com of my guitarist smashing his brother in the face with a guitar. And all of the comments were like, oh, these kids shitty Linkin Park music and this and that and all this. And I'm like reading all these like hate comments at like, what, 18? And like, I fucking lost it. I commented on every single thing. No, this is a real band. You should check out their music here. Oh, no, no, no. no. Hey, fuck you, man. Like, just like going down like systematically to the thousands of comments on break and like almost having like a mental breakdown of just like all of this stuff that like I've worked so hard up into one point and the only thing I get out of this is like this like comedic video. Like, yeah, exactly. It's like, I, it can really it could really fuck things up for you. If you, yeah. if, like, if you don't process it the right way, it can really fuck up everything. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've had people completely delete their Instagrams because of shit like that. You know, yeah. like just start over fresh. And that should never happen. Like yep. I, I look back at my memories on Time Hop or Facebook or like I, I've scrolled all the way back to the bottom of my post in Captain Cook sometimes and I look at some of the shit that I used to put out and it's borderline embarrassing to me, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I know what I'm capable of producing now. But that's all part of the process for me. Like, yep. I could easily go back to the beginning and archive all those early posts and hide it from the worlds so that they never saw it. And if I ever blew up, I'm sure that the talent agency that hired me would suggest that I do that. However, I don't give a fuck. I, like, yep. like, I really don't. Like, I, I, had, I had, in my mind better incubated ideas then than I do now. I just know how to execute things a little bit better now. Yeah. So, and I think back to that all the time. Like I think back to recipes, like I looked back in my notes on my phone and I found recipes that I was writing in like 2014, like before I even had a food Instagram, just watching Munchies videos and like discovering action Bronson being like, who the fuck is this? And yeah. like, you know, and like, you know, by the way, one of the reasons that I started cooking more. Um, awesome. And, you know, looking at old recipes and being like, this is a great fucking recipe. And I just did not have the chops to fucking execute it back then. But then I do it later on and it worked, you know, and it's yeah. like, so it's like, I, I'm not afraid of like the, the entirety of whatever you're creating. And that's also something that has taken a lot of years to really be okay with, you know, and I'm not amazing at it. I still don't take criticism as well as I probably should always, but at the same time, it depends what kind of criticism. Like, yeah. you know, if I'm in the kitchen doing meal prep with Chef Melissa and Paul, and she is not necessarily critiquing, but she's showing me how I'm doing something wrong and how I should do it, or here, come here, let me show you how to do this. I don't get angry. I'm not like, what the fuck? I don't do it the right way. Like, I'm not like that. You know, it's, that's different than someone just being like, mm, no, nah, this sucks. Yeah. Like, that, it's very different. And, yeah. you know, being okay with that over years of the entirety of who you are as a creative, I think, has also been a fucking journey and a half, you know, it's, I had recently a friend was visiting my roommate and this was somebody I wasn't very much like 
I was always contentious with them because to me, they had a lot of the things that I wanted put together. And I'm sure that I did with them, you know, but it was one of those kind of like, you know, acquaintances. I was jealous. Uh, They made me, uh, they would call me out on things and I would be pissed about it. (laughs) But like, that's the kind of frustration that you got to kind of lean into, right? Mm -hmm. If they're like, Hey man, you remember how you wanted to do those journals and you're not doing them and those journals will, you know, help guide you to like the next steps that you want to be doing. Here's the fucking journal, get it together. Right. And then like internally I'm like, go fuck yourself. Fuck yeah. you. Hey, fuck you, man. But like, you, you know, from what I just said that it's helpful and <laughs> like they're coming from a good place with it. Right. But like, you just know that when you, when you're looking you're not looking for the abuse. You're looking for someone to press the right button exactly. that will start the fire again. Right, which will spark something for you to be like, okay, that, like it, I think it comes, like you said, a lot of how it is conveyed and who's conveying it mm-hmm. and you know the intent behind it. If, because if somebody has like a malicious comment, what the fuck is that going to do? That's not going to help anything. But if somebody's doing something because they genuinely know what they're doing and they're they're doing it and they're constructing you and they're criticizing you because they want you to be better, you know, like that's the biggest thing is it's it's the intent behind people who do stuff like that in a positive way is that they're trying to build you up, yep. which is great. You know, I mean, that's what we should all be fucking chasing after, which I think and a lot of this, like you said before, kind of comes back to being okay with understanding that it is a self process in a way mm-hmm. it is a acceptance on your, we're mind. all on different parts of the journey, right? right? That's we've, we hear that so many times in our lives. We're all on different parts of the journey, but like at some point we've all reached that ego phase of this high ego where we kind of spiral, yeah. you know, you're either, you have reached it, you're going to reach it or you're in the middle of it right now. And so like, it just depends on what you're doing and at what age it happens to the severity of it. Because as we get older, the games, because this is all a game that we're playing, the games that we're playing get more complicated. So luckily for me, it happened when I was 17. Like I had a band, I was about to get signed, the music industry collapsed. I spiraled for a few years after that. Yeah. But luckily there wasn't a lot of social media. Luckily I didn't do anything that hurt anybody. Right. Like... But other people have at different phases of their life, like Kevin Spacey. He hurt people when he went through that. But do you think that he's going to be the same Kevin Spacey on the end of that? No. He doubled down afterwards shortly because he was like, no, fuck you. I'm Kevin Spacey. Right. And he released that really weird, cringy video. That was insane. But, yeah. yeah. I still think about that. Oh, God. Oh, me too. And then he's been silent because I'm sure he's sorting his shit out. Stuff. I can't tell you how many times I've been behind the grocery store counter and someone's complaining that we don't have enough like of the product that they're looking for. And I just want to be like, we're in the apocalypse <laughs> and just like, let it go. Yeah. The next time you're doing that and you're at the store, <laughs> someone's like, you know, you ran out of the macarons that I like. I'm like, I'll get right on that. Like, what do you, what the fuck, what the fuck are you coming here? Like, Jesus Christ, you see the, you see the Hawaiian shirt that I'm wearing? Fuck off. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, Father of God. <laughs> Jesus. Oh God. So, all right. Speaking of grocery, Right. I did want to talk a little bit about food mm-hmm. um, because it is technically a food podcast. Though I don't, I don't even know what the fuck this show has become anymore. I really don't. Like, I have no idea what this show has become. The last episode. We talked a lot about food. 
Yeah, kind of, but not really. I mean, it wasn't really, it wasn't really awesome. like the last episode with my friend Ashley was, uh, you know, pumping up her podcast, which we we talked about a cannibal for a lot of the time. Like that, it was great. I love that was the first one I, I got to listen to. to. Oh yeah, my God, really? it was she's, great, man. She's, she's got a great fucking podcast, and I and as you said, I I I will happily plug her podcast anytime I'm recording, guys. It's called Lullaby the Fear Podcast. It's currently in my link in my bio and Instagram. Uh, go to her anchor page. Go to Spotify. Subscribe. Um, she's been on my show. I've been on her show, uh, you know, and she's, it's just, it's, she's creates amazing content and she researches the shit out of everything. It is unbelievable, but regardless that I have no idea what this fucking podcast has become. I really don't. So at this point I'm having on people that I want to have on and yeah. creative people like yourself, people that I know I can have a good conversation with because that's really what matters. And yeah. as the show has kind of grown, this is the kind of shit that I wanted it to turn into was, being able to have a conversation that I was happy with. Cause for a lot of times, you know, I had all the prompts written down and I would ask the straight up questions and you know, it was fine and it accomplished what I kind of wanted to, but it was kind of like, I'm like, this is not, this doesn't sound like, like me. Like I would listen back to the podcast. And I'm like, this doesn't sound like, like me talking, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, I think a lot of people don't fully understand who they're really looking at on social media. Like, Looking at my Instagram, people who don't know me personally, you know me personally, but a lot of people don't, they wouldn't know that you and I had the ideas and the thoughts and the things that we spoke about in the last hour and 30 minutes that we did just because, you know, why would they, you know? So, yeah. I mean, that's another opportunity for the show is just kind of like enlighten people that, you know, there's always gray areas. Nothing's ever just black and white. Like there's always more to something usually that, you know, you think about. And speaking of that, you went down to Nashville and you were there for yeah. five years. Yeah. Now, I'm, I want to ask you a few things based on you being a food lover and a cook, yep. but also a musician. So mm-hmm. there is this, uh, I'll start with the musician part because we, we don't have to spend too much time on it, but I am curious because I've always been curious. I've never been to Nashville. I've never been to Memphis. I've always wanted to go. But is it, there's the, like this, um, how do I put this? This vibe that Nashville has for musicians, this attraction. It's almost like, you know, walking past a, a building with a neon sign in Los Angeles, you know, that kind of like vibe. It Nashville has that for musicians, Mm -hmm. right? It's like this lore that you, it's like this goal, this, this place you want to go to. Yeah. I'm living in Nashville, man, you know? And what I'm curious about was, did it really have that? Or did you get there and you were just kind of like, yeah, I'm in Tennessee, Uh, you know, like, you know, what, like where, where, or was it like a mix of both? Cause I, you know, I have a secret to tell you. Oh, it, it absolutely is but i did not take advantage of it as well as i could have so i have this like slight twinge of like okay i have the connections there if i ever make enough money to have two houses i will have one in nashville (laughs) because it really is i mean working in film i was working mostly in music videos and so if you're working in music videos oh wait who's going to be on there the producers and the record labels and the agents and the managers and you go down to broadway and what's everybody doing there's a band in every single bar and if you're not doing a cover band and you can show off as a singer or a guitar player and someone can point at that guitar player and be like you're the one i want in my band and so there's so much opportunity for music in nashville you're going to get out of it what you put into it, okay. but you're going to have to know how entertainment works. Right. And that's the thing everybody doesn't get is entertainment and propaganda go hand in hand. If you are not building a brand, if you are not marketing, if you are not building yourself as a business, you're not going to shine. Right. 
You can have as much happen to you. You can have as much talent in the world. You can write the greatest songs on the planet and no one's going to hear them. If you don't build the right team, if you don't have the right connections, if you don't put yourself out there the way you should be. And that's something I haven't done my entire music career because I'm terrified of getting to that point. And so now I know what I'm doing. I learned a lot from Nashville. I'm trying to bring it back to Westchester. I was trying to start a songwriting collective with all the people from my old bands it's taking its time because yeah. it's not that energy isn't here yet. Right. right? So it's going to take me a few years. I may be 40 or 50 by the time I have a songwriting collective here in New York, but like you can find that in Nashville. You can literally find like a group of people that are living together that just write music all the time. And they're trying to sell a song together. Right. And that exists there. Like that is real there which is kind of amazing because it's one of those places like <clears throat> it's, it is Tennessee, right? Which for somebody from Yonkers, very different from <laughs> Tennessee than New York. Um, and I mean, like maybe not like the city of Nashville, but like no. the state in general, mm-hmm. which is like, like Asheville, North Carolina, right? Good example. Yeah. It's like Asheville is a, has become like an artist, like Mecca. Right. Yep. There are artisans and local producers and it has a huge, you know, gay and trans population now and it's very diverse and it's very liberal thinking. But then you drive outside of Nashville and you're just like uh, you drive outside of Asheville and you're like, oh, a Confederate flag. That's right. I'm in North Carolina. So yeah. it's like, you know, there's there's always that struggle. The same thing with like Austin, Texas. Austin is an incredible city and it's amazingly liberal and diverse and there's a huge gay population there. There's been for years more than some Democratic states that are in the country. However, you're also, you know, you're in Texas. So it's like, you know, which, which recently has made news for not incredible things. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I'm more curious about too. It's like staying in that Nashville bubble is like you said, you're going to find all this shit. Right. But absolutely. Where is that kind of like, where is that threshold of like, okay, yeah, this is like the Nashville bubble, but like overall, like, is this where I want to like build a life? You know what I mean? Um, I can tell you, yes, I found Nashville to be incredibly beautiful. One of the things I did miss, um, well, one was bacon, egg, and cheeses. I don't understand like why like it's so hard to put eggs and bacon and cheese on a it's roll and it'd be good. It's, it's got to be, be done on a dirty griddle. It's got to be thrown on that fucking roll it's yeah. with, with, the, with the dusted flour on top. It's got to be wrapped up in like that aluminum foil with the paper inside. Like it's got to be, yep. it's got to be perfect. Yeah. And like, they just don't get it. Like everybody talks about missing bagels or pizza. Nashville has great pizza. You can go to proper bagel. They get their bagel shipped right from fucking Brooklyn. They have white fish. They have four or five different kinds of locks. Proper bagels is amazing. I will shout them out all the time. If you're in Nashville, fucking go there. But like you can, and you can get like New York pizza at five points pizza. Like there's the food in Nashville kicks Westchester and even I would say the city's ass. Like we'll get to that in a second, but finishing like what you asked me specifically was when I left, it was right after the 2016 election, New York. So Trump was just elected president. And that January I was in a car on the way down to Nashville. I get there and yeah, it's more Southern. You find more Confederate flags. You find more people who are open about like their opinions. But once again, I think that people in New York are kind of more racist sometimes than the people in Nashville. Yeah. And, and I, I, I see like the people in Rest New York are more, con- too, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> more contentious and more 
unwilling to compromise than people in Nashville. Nashville to me felt like a, not a battleground. I don't want to say, but once again, I like the, the, the primordial ooze, right? Like ideas and things are coming out of Nashville because you have this collision of separate entities. And so there are people who are like, I'm old Nashville. I'm a, I'm a unicorn now because everybody in Nashville is from New York or LA or from the small yeah, towns outside that were like, yeah, exactly. I've got to go to, I've got to go to the big city and the big city's Nashville, which is the size of white plains. Yeah, it's not like, yeah. <laughs> like it's the size of white plains. And if you drive five minutes, not even 10 minutes, if you drive five minutes out, you will end up in farmland. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> It's like being in Vegas and just hitting the desert. Like yeah. literally like I, I, so I guess that, I mean, that's, I guess that's good because in a way, if you're going to build a life in a place like that, it's going to be in a place like that. You're not going to build a life and then be annoyed that, you know, five minutes out there's farmland. Like that's not, you like, you don't really give a shit about that if you're building. Like, yeah. There. I was just curious about like the musician aspect like that. And also like, I guess the food, which, you know, the no is knowing that there's that amazing array of food is incredible. And I think that's come becoming more, popular in other cities which is like we need more variety and we need you know because the one thing that the city has and brooklyn and all these places more than anything is variety by volume Mm -hmm. right like it is almost impossible to find it is almost impossible to not find a certain cuisine in one of the five boroughs of new york city like i'm like name a crazy you know like afro-brazilian cuisine it exists or ethiopian it exists you know like, like Filipino, like Malaysia, like, like literally anything you could think of. I'm, I guarantee you some form of it exists in one of the five boroughs, mm-hmm. but that's not always, I don't want to say it's not always good. It's just, it doesn't always mean that it's like, you know, the top quality or it's like the best place in the world. Like I was born in Manhattan. I love the city. And I love that even now that I live up in Northern Westchester, I'm still only like an hour drive ish away from the city. I work in one of the fucking boroughs every day. I drive my ass down to the fucking Bronx every day. You know, so it's like I spend a lot of time there and I know that there's all that volume, but I also know that around the country now there's a lot more variety popping up. And mm-hmm. there didn't you there it, it was not like that for the longest time, you yeah. know? And so I don't know. I was always really curious about that, but also the main question and more important than anything that we've talked about, uh does Nashville hot chicken live up to the hype? I can say that I never had fried chicken, let alone hot chicken, until I had Prince's hot chicken. Not Hattie B's, Prince's. Prince's. Okay. I, I joke that Hattie B's is like the Disney World of like hot chicken, but it it's a it's a great product. It's amazing. It's like you you're gonna go to Hattie B's like the amount of times you go to your favorite spot. If you're living in Nashville, Hattie B's is the place you're gonna go to. If you wanna take the 20 minute drive just a little bit north of Nashville or yeah a little bit north of nashville no 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 no. i'm sorry south south of nashville my bad they're the one in north of uh, burned down <laughs> um but the, the 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 new location for princes that like that chicken blue i like felt high i felt like a completely different experience, like the, 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 the crisp of the skin, the flavor, the texture of the chicken as juicy as it was out of this world. Hattie B's is a close second, but nothing blew me away. Like princes did. Is there when anything, I had is there anything around here that even re- resembles close to that level? 
or that you've had? Of fried chicken? No, because yeah. even like the KFC here, like can't even get biscuits right. <laughs> like, yeah. like just like for some reason, like how like they can't get bacon, egg and cheeses. We can't seem to figure out fried chicken and biscuits. Like no. I don't understand. Even, even when you come close, like there's a place in White Plains called Freebird, right? It's like okay. Southern cooking. It's, it's pretty good. Um, I got Nashville hot chicken there once and it was cooked well and it was yeah. done right with the hot oil and everything. And it was a giant piece of fried chicken on a piece of white bread with two pickles on top. Like they did everything yep. they're supposed to. And it was, it was good. But then I was also like, mm, but this cost me 1850 for this yeah. one piece of chicken. So it's like, I know that there are places in the world where it could be done better for less money. And it's because it's just embedded in that culture. That's the yep. problem is that it's nothing is going to really beat that. You know, I mean, like when I first had French dishes here, like French cuisine in the U.S., yeah. you get the idea, you get the gist, there's butter and everything, you know, and you have these amazing dishes like, you know, cocavine and you have, you know, duck confit and like, you know, bouillabaisse and like ratatouille and like all these classic French dishes that you've heard about your whole life. But then when you actually go to Paris, which I did in 2019, um, you know, you forget that those things do exist, but these places are also cities. Like people live there. Like we were staying, I don't know, 13 minute walk, like a mile away from Notre Dame. So we were right in the middle of the city and there's Chipotle and there's Starbucks and there's pizza places everywhere. You know, it's like, there's, you know, it's, it's a fucking city. People live there. But when we did go to like one of those French bistros, you know, the last meal that we had there, that's what we saved it for. Cause we were there for four or five days. We saw all the tourist shit, which, I kind of regret now. I mean, it's, it's amazing that we saw all of it. You know, we went to the Louvre and we went out to, you know, um, Versailles and we you know all that shit. We actually also went to the Paris Disneyland, which was fucking dope. Uh, and I highly <laughs> recommend taking the train outside of Paris and doing that to everybody. But regardless, um, we saved the last meal, the last dinner that we were going to have in Paris to be at this place right around the corner. Um, you know, uh, it's just a good, like Brazier, like a good French bistro. And there's just one waiter for the whole restaurant, you know, maybe like 30 tables, nothing crazy. And I got these duck fillets in like a beautiful pan sauce. And, you know, my wife got this beautiful beef that was cooked. We had escargot as like an appetizer. And it's just so fucking good. But you could also tell how effortless a lot of it is because it's just so embedded in the culture of like just accepted already. Like the newer French waves of cuisine that have taken hold of like introducing more soul food in like we went to a place that we, the, one of the best fried chicken pieces I've ever had in my life was in Paris. It was wow. this place called um, BFG, like big, uh, no FTG Frenchie to go. That was the name of it. Mm-hmm. And we went in there and it's like a fried chicken joint. And I had this giant fried chicken thigh with like pickles on top and jalapenos on top and like good fries with it. And I'm eating it. And I'm like, this is good fucking fried chicken. Not for Paris. <laughs> I mean, it was just good fried chicken. Yeah. And so that part of like being in a city, we totally took advantage of. And you're always going to get those people like, why did you have fried chicken? You went to France and you had fried chicken. I don't fucking care. Like, dude, like what, what fuck is it? Get? I, I got more satisfaction out of that because I was able to say I am halfway across the world and I just ate something that I thought I knew was like over here and it's the best and whatever. Whatever. But then you have it over here and you're like, okay, so there's other parts of the world that are just making their way into all these cities. 
And yeah. that's what's happening around the U.S. too, which I love. I love that places like Nashville and like Denver and like all these places have such crazy variety now. There's this place, uh, Shaohan El and Masala House in Nashville. Mm. They do uh, tikka masala poutine. What the fuck? Sorry, yeah. say that again? Tikka masala. Tikka masala poutine. So they use the paneer as like the cheese curds. Mm-hmm. Then they have French fries and then they just pour the masala, tikka masala sauce over it. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh my God. I have to, my friend actually <laughs> is Canadian and she loves poutine. I have to tell her this. I have to tell her yeah. this. Oh my God. And then, um, God. then there's like, bis- then you go to Biscuit Love, which is like this old inn that has like these little tchotchke shops now that all like the country stars would stay on and perform at on their way in and out of Nashville. Right. And I took my aunt there and she was like, you know, I hate biscuits. Right. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Come on, let's go. And so like she sits down and she ate an entire basket of biscuits herself. (laughs) Someone who like self-professed hated biscuits. They're always dry and terrible. Like when I tell you like these biscuits, like people go to Nashville and they go to biscuit love and I'm always like, ha, ha, have a good time, guys. And then, like, I'll take like my people to fucking Loveless Cafe. So like, oh you, you got to go to the Loveless Cafe for the their biscuits. And like, they what else was the other thing that they did? They do like a like a like a like a they do all their pulled pork on site, so you could see like it's like in this big like glass wooden barn kind of box and they just like have the smoker there and everything. And then they have this pulled pork omelet and they have these biscuits. So like loveless cafe, like just, I've never had biscuits like that. And I don't think I ever will again. Just, (laughs) it's just, I mean, that's, that's part of these experiences that make it so great is knowing that you're indulging in something that you can't really indulge somewhere else. Like not in that way, at least, you know, like, I don't know. Like having that food at that bistro in France, I'm sure I could find a French restaurant in the city. You know, the French laundry is a good example, right? Thomas Keller has been curating incredible food for decades now. I'm sure I could find places like that around the country where I'd pay an arm and a leg and I'd have things that were just as good, if not in a creative way, maybe better, but that's not really what it's about. It's about experiencing that whole thing in that way. And you know that you're not going to experience it again, you know? Yep. And that's what I think people need to start taking a little more stock in. That you shouldn't go to, you know, uh, you know, Italy and be like, "Man, this burger sucks." Like, <laughs> right, what the fuck? like you know, like, like you know, what the fuck good is that going to do? Like, you should go there and find a burger that you like and be like, "Wow, I'm in fucking Rome, and this burger is pretty fucking decent. This is pretty good." Yep. You know, but I don't know. I think that's part of the thing that um, I talk about him almost every episode. But part of the thing that Anthony Bourdain really tried to enforce on the world was there's a a reason that this food exists and it has to do with like the people and it has to do with the, you know, why it, why it was created and what was available and like why the culture is the way it is. And, you know, that was why he always tried everything. He would sit down at these tiny little dingy places. He would eat whatever they served him. He didn't ask questions. Like even if it made him sick, you know, because you need to kind of understand where you are in the world and understanding that in a larger way, I think is what's kind of important. So now everybody knows that you should go to Nashville for more than just, you know, the music, but yeah, you know, they're vegan food. Surprisingly, we were, we were, we were shit talking vegans, but they're vegan food. They have this vegan queso, 
Yeah. At the, you know, which is like become a staple now, but like a uh, wild cow does incredible vegan meals. Like I would go just like I would go to like get hot chicken or anywhere. I would just go to wild cow and grab like whatever was their special for the day. Yeah. <laughs> like they're amazing. There's a lot of amazing shit out there. You know, yeah. I'm not saying, and, and that's why like you making that vegan place, just part of something you picked up. That's kind of the beauty of it is you could appreciate, you know, dishes like that. Yep. So I don't know. I mean, I think, like I was saying before, I think people need to have more of like an open mind about like, you can experience all of this simultaneously. Like you can experience all of this openly. It doesn't just have to be so closed off. And mm-hmm. like, there, like, I hate saying this. And again, the militant vegans are going to come after me, but there is a way to advocate for animal rights and for animals to be treated properly, you know, and also eat meat. Mm-hmm. I do it as well. I don't like the fact of how factory farming is done. Like, nope. It's the problem with all of this is and the same thing with like the environment and with like the production of plastic and all this. It's really on the corporations because we could all change our daily lives to the T. You know, I stopped buying Ziploc bags two years ago. Mm -hmm. Literally in 2019, we made a decision because we had noticed that we were buying more than one box of Ziploc bags a week and just throwing them out. And since then, we just don't buy them anymore. We have these giant silicone bags that we've been using. Or I'll wrap things in like aluminum foil because you can like recycle that, which is like better than like just throwing plastic in the garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of different options. And it's what I've noticed is that it's also hard in like the restaurant industry just because there's like so much relies on like, like cling wrap. Like saran wrap is yeah. life-saving in a kitchen and I use it still. And now that I'm working in a kitchen, I totally understand why it's not just like, yeah, and just switching yeah. it off like that. But once we can get like little um, like attachments that like put a force field, then we'll, yeah. we can get rid of that. But yeah, we have exactly. to get to that like yeah. exactly. <laughs> airtight force field tech. Right. So I don't know. I think that all of, I think all of what we've talked about is should be proof to people that you, it is possible to live, you know, in a multiverse. It's possible to live simultaneously. It's multi, it's possible to experience things at the same time that have conflicting ideas and not have to be so polarized one side or the other. And that's how I've been trying to live the past few years is like loving vegan options, but then also being like, you know, I love meat, you know, (laughs) it's it's like, you know, just like there are ways to live with like, you know, everything. And which also, which uh, brings me to uh, another kind of uh, prompt or question per se that I have. So you've been a writer, right? For many, many years and you've been a musician for many, many years. So I want to ask you two Mm -hmm. things. One, one writer that you could sit down and just have a cup of coffee and smoke cigarettes and talk with and one musician that you could jam with dead or alive. Uh, okay. One is Grant Morrison for the writer. Um, he is a comic book writer. Uh, he also wrote a, um, book that was his autobiography and kind of history book about comic books in general. Uh, I think that he, is always trying to push the boundaries of the two dimensional reality of comic books. Um, And he's trying to do it. And he genuinely, he himself believes that whatever you write down starts to take shape in our three dimensional realm. So he utilizes the 2d art form to thusly enact change in the 3d art form and just, Everything, every time I've ever heard him talk on a podcast, every 
book I've ever read from him. I just know that I will learn so much from him. And I'm sure that like in reality, well, I actually had an experience with him and it was like, Hey man, I don't usually do this. I don't like to like do celebrity stuff. Can I like grab a photo with you? You're my favorite writer. And he goes, yeah, don't worry. Just, you know, one day it's going to be the inverse and someone's going to be up here telling you that you're their favorite writer and you're going to feel real awkward about it. And I was like, fuck. It's a <laughs> like just just like in that moment of like all right so like this is like one second with this guy and this is already what he's like teaching me <laughs> like that's insane and then uh musician musician man uh, who dead or i mean that's a that's a loaded question i know i know do i want to go like Beatles because everybody goes Beatles and like John Lennon but no John Lennon was like like a kind of a garbage human and he as was, lazy as I am he was a, <laughs> not just that he was also a prick to work with from what I yeah so like no not him I don't know maybe go as like maybe Phil Spector maybe I'd want to like Ooh. get the abuse from like a Phil Spector because okay. every single like Ronettes all of that stuff is like that's my go-to music all the time. Like those like fifties and sixties girl groups, they like have something that we've lost. I don't know. Like that's like, if there's any sign that there's a decline in civilization, it's like that music and that like caliber of artistry and recording quality. And yeah, just to learn from those people, maybe just like Phil Spector and his collection of art artists that's that's those are the musicians i would that's a great fucking answer that is not what i (laughs) that is is a great fucking answer so we have talked about a lot of different shit and this episode i i purposely did not write specific like prompts for this because this is what i wanted i wanted a free-flowing creative conversation which okay has been absolutely delightful but now to be repetitive for the rest of my episodes um, I'm doing something that I do with all my guests. I think the only time I did it was I didn't do it with Ashley last episode. Um, I think after talking about a cannibal for that long, I was just like, I need, I need a break. Um, but, um, no, I think it was, it, it, it wasn't that it was, uh, so I do this thing called Danker rank on all my episodes okay. where I'm going to list foods that are usually pretty polarizing and you just have to answer either dank. Like you think they're amazing or rank that you fucking hate them. All right. Okay. Um, pretty standard they're on a lot of them but anchovies dank dank you like anchovies all right good i do you like anchovies straight up or you like them like in sauce like how do you only on pizza or uh or caesar salad so you take lemon garlic rub the anchovies in the bottom mix that up yeah then stir up this romaine lettuce that's perfect that's my perfect caesar salad can i give you a suggestion too uh the next time the next time you make red sauce okay Yeah, yeah take a can of anchovies take like yeah five or six of them yeah. And chop them up and like macerate them with the fucking uh, garlic and make it into a paste oh. together with the garlic. And yeah. then use that as the base of your red sauce and the olive oil. And do it, do, it, do it so that it literally evaporates the anchovies in the oil. And it will be life-changing. You Damn. Can use, can use that sauce for pizza. You can use it for pasta. It is. I already taste <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is so fucking good. Now I'm I'm a psychopath. My apparently when my mom was pregnant with me, she would yeah. literally eat anchovies out of the can, which is why I think I eat anchovies out of the can. I'm like, no. yeah. So, all right. So you had dang for anchovies, sardines. I have not had any. Okay, so you should try them. They're yeah. extremely nutritional and they're they're nutritious. They're great, but do not buy the ones in water because they're disgusting. Okay. They are trash. 
only buy the ones that are in olive oil and mix it with mustard. Not okay. everybody does that, but make almost like a tuna salad with the sardines. Don't yeah. worry about the little bones. They're going to crunch in you. They'll be fine. Yeah. But um, they're so tiny that it doesn't matter. All but right. I will it, try this. Yeah, mix it with mustard. Like, and it's, it'll be the best like sandwich spread you've ever had in your life. Cool. I'm excited. Um, cilantro. Dank. Okay, good. Yeah, because I've, I've talked about this almost every time I've done this game on the end of the podcast, but I didn't know for a bunch of years that there was like a genetic thing with people where like they genuinely taste like green soap. Yeah. You know? And I thought it was just people being like bitches. I was just like, man, I'm, <laughs> I'm just like, you know, they're like, ah, I don't like cilantro. I'm like, I'm like, you stupid little weak human. What do you, you know, so, <laughs> I didn't know it was an actual like hereditary thing. So I apologize to everybody for all those years. Um, beets. Beets? Beets. Dank, dude. You're, I don't know if there's, you're going to find a rank with me. <laughs> well, this one should do it because it definitely does it for me. Cottage cheese. Rank alone, dank with pineapple. Ooh, okay, pineapple. Well, I guess that makes sense. My thing with cottage cheese is just the texture. I just can't get over the texture. It's just mm. so microscopically testicular. I don't know how else to explain it. It's just like, it's like it's got that just, you're just, you got these little balls floating around your mouth. Yeah. Not that I have anything against people who have balls in their mouth. That's probably a great feeling for yeah. a lot of people, but not that tiny mm-hmm. and not with a bunch of cream swimming in your mouth as well. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Mm. Um, and let me see. All right. So this one is because you're from New York and I want yeah. your honest opinion about this. And I promise I won't judge yeah. you. Pineapple on pizza. Thank man. Really? Yeah. Oh, see, right, I know. Here's, here's, here's my issue with it is, is it's never done properly. I don't think. Mm-hmm. A lot of places, they just kind of throw pieces of ham and pineapple, or they'll just throw a pineapple on the pizza and like bake it, whatever. Yeah. I feel like it should be done more in the way that a traditional, like, al pastor taco is done. Like, okay. cook, cook the pork with the pineapple inside of it. You know, cook yeah. it so that the flavors actually swim with each other. Maybe then you've got something. Or I had my friend Felix on. He runs a, uh, like a, what's it called? Like a micro pizzeria, I guess you could say, like a traveling pizzeria called Happy Bowl Pizza. And yeah. there's this place he was telling me about that grinds it up into a sauce, into a squirt bottle. And they squirt that on top of it instead of mm-hmm. having these giant chucks, chunks of like stringy pineapple. Maybe in that way it would be done right. But I can comfortably say that every slice of pineapple pizza that I've ever had has just not done it, man. And I don't, and the whole salty and sweet thing, I, that's not an argument for me. I'm sorry. Like, it's just, it's like, I challenge you okay. to make a white pie minus the regatta with a pineapple based sauce, a white pie with a pineapple based. Sauce. So you, you, you use like regular like pizza dough. Okay. You cook the pineapple exactly like you would a Sunday sauce. Because I would assume the acid would kind of cook out just like a tomato. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. It would yeah. be a little bit. It would cook, the problem is, is that when the sugar and the pineapple cooks off, it goes mm. a little bit differently than the tomato. But yeah, no, you basically the same basic idea. Yeah. You can pick whatever cheese you want and then ham and see how you feel about that. Huh. Okay. <laughs> and then my last one was going to be Nashville hot chicken, but we already know uh, for that. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. But yeah, that was uh, that was Danker Rank. That's I know. I was dank for all of them. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I don't think I've ever had somebody do dank for all of them. So that's a first. That's good. No, I love I love all food. I eat everything. Um, there's one thing that always surprises people, and it's something I can't have because I have a I'm an Italian, and I have a slight nightshade um, allergy. So tomatoes, eggplant, oh. peppers. Yeah, but I love it. I eat like eggplant and like 
Parmesan all the time and I will throw up after it, but I will have it anyway because <laughs> I'm a masochist. It's it's absolutely yeah. But I can't because of flavor, texture, and the nightshade allergy, peppers. I just don't do like regular cooked peppers. I can have uncooked peppers. I cannot weird. do cooked peppers. I, this is going to sound so weird. I, to this day, do not like cooked sweet peppers. I, oh, up, okay. All right, listen, listen, growing up, I loved jalapenos. I love hot peppers, as you know. I eat a yeah. fucking habanero every time I make hot sauce. Like, I'm nuts. Mm-hmm. Like, I love them. And even like raw peppers, like I would dip in dips and stuff and it was fine, bell peppers. But once they got cooked, my dad spent my entire childhood yelling at me. Like, did you know that a red pepper has more vitamin C than aren't? Like, whatever, all that shit. And I just couldn't get around to liking them. I would gag every time I would eat sweet peppers that were cooked and I could never understand it. Now that I'm older and I live with, you know, another human, I, you know, I, I cook it. I cook them all yeah. the time and like I eat them and I'm a little bit better, but like for the majority of my life, I, st- and I still will order things without peppers. Yep. And it's, it's not hot peppers. I love hot peppers. I work at a school where there's a garden. I ate a raw fucking jalapeno off the plant today, a whole, yeah. one, you know, that could explain the gas, but like, you know, um, <laughs> I'm just realizing now, maybe that's why I had to take the <laughs> But no, like I just, sweet peppers just never did it for me, man. And it made my dad so insanely furious because my grandfather had this amazing garden yeah. and he would grow all these peppers and he loved peppers and I just couldn't get around to it, man. Like, I don't know. It was the weirdest fucking thing. Same here. No sweet peppers for me. Oh man. All right. So as we wind down of this uh, escapade of a fucking episode, um, uh, I'm going to do something that I usually close out the show with, but I'm going to preface it because I haven't been able to record since I heard this. <laughs> I am a huge fan of David Chang and the Dave Chang podcast, which by the way, if you don't listen to recipe club podcast and the Dave Chang show, you absolutely fucking should. It added is, to my list. It is literally incredible for anybody that loves food or podcasts in general. However, two episodes ago, three episodes ago, they did something at the end of the show. That they've never done before that. I have done at the end of almost all my episodes which is a fuck, Mary kill with food. Okay. And I heard them do it. And I'm like, mother fuckers. Like, <laughs> I guess that I didn't create the game, but I was so proud of myself. Cause I'm like, nobody does that. Nobody does a fuck, Mary kill with food on a food podcast, or whatever. And then he did it on his fucking show for the first time, like two months ago. And yeah. I'm like, you, there's literal audio proof of me doing it far beyond that. So, <laughs> I'm preface this with that. And people go listen, write in, send him an angry worded letter. Anything you want. Go ahead. But regardless, so we're going to do, to close out the show, we're going to do a fuck, Mary kill, and it has to do with food. So one food that you would just have like a dirty one night stand with and limp away from and be like, that was horrible, but I'm going to do that again in four weeks. So whatever, you know, and then a food that you would absolutely just wife up and love and have every day of your life. Okay. And a third food or ingredient or drink or whatever that you would take pleasure in flushing down the toilet or the garbage disposal, like something that you would happily watch die into, okay. into the black hole of non-existence. Got you. So go ahead. Oh, I have to pick them. You do. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. I used to, I used to want to give prompts to people, but I think it's more fun when they, when I watch the, the fear in their eyes as they think they made wrong choices. So no, 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 I would, Mm. Fuck, 
my version of Gordon Ramsay's scrambled eggs on toast. I make those a lot too. Okay. (laughs) I would, uh, hmm. I would marry homemade stuffed crust pepperoni pizza with Calabrian chilies. Oh, shut up. (laughs) Yeah. And hmm, what do I, what would I kill? What would I kill? What would I kill? Like something you genuinely hate. I know. It's hard. You can say sweet peppers if you want, like cooked sweet peppers if you really want, but you know. No, because they offer such nutritional benefits. No, it's got to be. It's. I, I know what it is, and I'm blinking, and I can't think of it. Um, the fuck? Philly cheesesteaks without whiz. Oh, wow. That is a first. for this this game oh my god okay that is but it has specific i know (laughs) the only other answer that i've gotten that has been as specific as that was somebody saying cooking meatloaf in the microwave and i'm like okay let's unpack that for a minute because that's so specific Um, (laughs) so so, all right that's good there's there's your fuck mary kill holy shit yeah um all right well so guys this has been uh one hell of a fucking episode here we are basically more than two hours later i think uh, so thank you for hanging out for this long. It's been insane. Um, at Ralph Puma, exactly how you think it's spelled. On, on everything. Instagram, on everything at R-A- Oh my God, R-A-L-P-H-P-U-M-A. Yep. On everything. Uh, I'm going to put all your links that you send me for whatever you want to promote in the description of the podcast. Um, it'll be in the links in my bio when I post this on Instagram. Um Thank you so fucking much for coming. Thank on you so much for having me. <laughs> it's been, this has been one of the better conversations that I've had on the show. Absolutely. And uh, just in general too, for a while. So um, yeah, I'm going to stop the recording in a minute, but you know, tell anybody, you know, self promote, do whatever you want. Tell anybody yeah. what they should be looking out for. Go ahead. Um, I mean, you can, I'm going to be doing new music. I'm always doing something creative. Uh, I've got the ADHD depression bug. So you're going to see lots of like excitement and new things coming out. And then you're going to not hear from me. But if I can leave you guys all with one thing is I had a drastically different life than I do right now in Nashville. And we've talked a lot about, you know, the world and the gray area and all of that. And you have the opportunity to choose your reality. You're right. We live in a multiverse and every second, not every moment, not every day, not every month, not every year, every second you have is you deciding what reality you want to live in and you get to choose that. So coming from the low place I was in Nashville to where I am now, that's something that is a thought that has helped me get here. So. I was insane. Why the fuck do I even have a show? Dude, why don't you just run a fucking pot? Jesus Christ. No, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do the show. I tried it. And I just like, my, my brain was like, I had four guests and I have these four episodes and then I stopped. <laughs> so, like, well, I, th- this is why I love having a show like this. Cause people come on and say stuff like that. That is, that's incredible guys. Follow Ralph on everything. Um, I'm going to post everything in the description and on the links in my bio of Instagram. Ralph, thank you again, man, so much. Thank you. This was awesome. And guys, this has been episode, I think, 27 of Spicy Memories. And stay tuned for the next episode. I don't know who will be on, but I promise it may be interesting.